Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 546. We're recording this Tuesday, the 22nd of November, 2022. 22-11-22. It is at uh, 1.42pm Brisbane time, 2.42pm Sydney time. You're back in Sydney, Tony. I am. How was the uh, drive up from uh, Cape Shank there to Sydney, Tony? <laughs> yeah, it was fine. You've got to do it in the South African accent now. We're going to do the whole Richie Benno, Tony, uh, whatever his name was. Greg. Tony Greg. You're Tony I'll Greg. I'll just stick my keys on the wicket here and tell you what That's it's That's it. Like, oh, yeah. very good, Tony. Yeah. How's, how's things in Sydney today, <laughs> That's Bill Tony? Laurie, isn't it? Is that Bill Laurie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Look at the 12th man. <laughs> yeah, oh, I see you've got the, uh, the bone jacket on today, Richie. <laughs> Went to the closet and there was the white, the off-white, the bone, the, the cream. <laughs> wow, the 12th man, that's taking me back to the 80s. Oh, yeah, Billy Birmingham, that was a great series. The Pakistani opening batsman was, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do that these days. You could not uh, t- could not do that these days. How are you, TK? I'm good. Yeah, drive up from Cape Shank was good, long, but broke it up with uh, Ruddy and Wagga. Played a bit of golf and then headed back here. He's got me off the booze, Cam. That's the big news. So- <laughs> he's got you off the booze. Yeah, so he's off the booze and I can see some health benefits in him already. So I've been off for three weeks now as well. Taylor told me that Ruddy told him that he was off the booze, and I was like, they were just at the races down in Melbourne. I don't think they were off the booze at the races. He was. I wasn't, but he was. He was off the booze at the races. What? Yeah. What do you two do when you're off the booze? I can't imagine you you and Ruddy do, you know, like what, what do you have to talk about if you're off the booze? Like what do you what does that look like? You're sipping tea and watching Downton Abbey together or what? It's <laughs> It's still pretty similar, but it was funny. After the, so I was in Wagga for two nights, and on the second night around five o'clock, we played golf. We did some, cut coil up on some work we had to do, and uh, we looked at each other and went, "Oh, <laughs> this is unusual." <laughs> <laughs> we should have a beer in our hands by now. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, I already cooked dinner, and we just watched some Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, how long are you uh, off at four? Do you have a plan? Well, I don't know. Um, well, Ruddy says he, it, his doctor's telling him it takes three months to have an effect. So I'm going to call it a soft target of three months. I doubt if I'll get that far because it's coming into Christmas and New Year's. So wow. Yeah, there are, there's entire like uh, whiskey distilleries that are going to go broke. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sell your shares in Lark Whiskey Distilleries. It's a listed one. <laughs> I actually, I had another glass of that bottle that you gave me for my birthday on, uh, by the way, if, if you're not drinking and you've got anything left in that bottle you bought, you can send that to me. It's fine. Oh, you just send me all of your booze cupboard. Just put it all in a box, send it to me, and I'll look after it for you. Yeah, I'll get the a box. I'll get the semi trailer for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, just just the whiskey. I had another glass. I was celebrating the other night the end of the Caesar series, so I thought that was a fitting occasion to have a cigar and wow. uh, a glass of that special whiskey. Ray and I, so for people who don't know, um, I do a podcast on ancient Rome. Been doing it for nine years, where it's our nine-year anniversary, and we just finished Nero. Last episode we've recorded, it'll come out in another couple of weeks. Yeah, nine years, Ray and I have been working on the Caesar series. Every week for nine years, talking about 
all the Julio Claudians. So uh, that's finished. We've wrapped it up, and it's uh, kind of bittersweet. But to uh, you know, finish up a, a series like that, such a it was sort of a big deal for us. But um, yeah. So anyway, I had a glass of that scotch. What's next? You're not going to stop, are you? Yeah, yeah. Trying to scale back the amount of work. You have no idea how much work I've been doing for the last nine years. Yeah, okay. Well, we're still doing the Cold War series. We're still doing the Renaissance series. We're still doing the Bullshit Filter series. But we're trying to just scale back the amount of work they're doing so I can put more effort into QAV and get some of our life back too. But um, having to write 10,000 words of notes every week for one of these shows that I'm doing is... Uh, Not for QAV. Where's the other 9,990 yeah, yeah. words? Uh, no, this show's my easy show. <laughs> you take the load on this one. I take the load on all the rest of my shows. So scaling them back. Is that 10,000 words for you and 10,000 words for Ray? No, that's mine words. He has uh, one-page, uh, double-lined uh, notes, uh, you know, written with big spaces in between them. Yeah, that's... <laughs> No, anyway, so yeah, I had a glass of scotch. I guess that's congratulations, isn't it, then? It's a bit of a triumph. It's been a long, long, good series, long, great series. It feels like a bittersweet. It's, um, it, it was a great series. You two now pro console, <laughs> are you? You're across yeah. the Rubicon, go back into Rome. This is where you reap all your rewards. Uh, well, that was the thing about it. Like, it never really, I guess, was a successful in terms of its reach or its sizes. I would have hoped, so it's a little bit bittersweet to, to finish it, but we, we had a good time. Anyway, people don't care about that. They want us to talk about the fact that oil is a sell now, Tony. It is. That uh, threw a spanner in my week. I noticed, though, that uh, when I was posting our disclosure stuff this morning, WDS is still listed as one of your stocks. You haven't sold WDS? No, no, and it's. Um, I think we've talked about Woodside before. It's It's... I think it's more of a natural gas play than an oil company. It is, but LNG is a Josephine. So LNG is a Josephine, oil's a sell. Well, we don't sell on Josephines and it's, uh, I don't know what the split is, 70-30, something like that. 60-40, I think. No, I think it's more. I had a look too. Okay. But no, I'm not going to sell on the Josephine. <sighs> well, I did. Wish I'd asked you before that before I sold it. <laughs> I was like, oh, am I going to hold it just because LNG's a Josephine? Uh, Josephine's a slippery slope. I know we don't sell on Josephine, but anywho, okay, so you're holding on to it. Anything else you had to get rid of? Uh, yeah, I had uh, shares in Viva Energy, which is definitely an oil company or retailer. Well, and refiner, so I sold them. VEA? VEA, the old shell company. So, Oh, really? Of, I get to wipe my hands twice of the company in <laughs> 20 years. I was surprised I didn't have more oil stocks because I have had STO. I've owned a lot of things, but I must have gotten rid of them, must have, you know, ruled one or three PTL them. Anyway, so that's oil for the moment. We'll see what happens uh, with oil moving forwards. I also noticed this interesting article in the Fin about iron ore. Stop doom scrolling, it <laughs> said. Iron ore has plenty of reasons to keep rising. This was uh, by Peter Kerr, resources reporter. The good news for Australian iron ore miners is that spring will be over for another year in just 10 days. The season of rebirth and new blooms has often been the season of existential dread for Australian iron ore miners over the past decade as Chinese construction tends to slow down ahead of the northern winter. Fortescue had a near-death experience in September 2012 when a sudden slump in iron ore prices left it struggling to service debt and forced it to launch a fire sale of assets and slash staff numbers 
Maybe that's the problem with Twitter and Facebook. Maybe it's the uh, iron ore slump. Uh, It was September last year when the iron ore price slumped by 38% in just 20 days. Uh, We remember it well, don't we? We remember that well. We do. So he's basically saying that there is a correlation between, historically, a correlation between spring and iron ore prices collapsing. I was interested in your thoughts on this. Have you seen that uh, trend before? Are you expecting iron ore prices to spike again? Oh, I've got no opinion, Cam. No, no prediction ability. In, That's in, boring. In, not, Come not on. My area of expertise. Look, it makes sense, but again, it's a prediction, and um, I would think, given the fact that China's a lot of China's in COVID lockdown, that's more important than the season. So uh, I think that's why oil's coming off, and probably why iron ore's the similar in a similar position. No, I'll just I'll just wait till the cards are dealt and then play them as they're dealt, rather than trying to guess what's coming out next. Oh, you're so predictable and boring, Coniston. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on this article, another Fin Review article? These 10 shares would have made you 888% plus in a decade. Is that good? 888% in a decade? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. 10 times is better. Investors who leave tech exposure to overseas bourses are missing out. An analysis of the top performing stocks in the S&P ASX 100 over the past 10 years shows that while home-grown IT companies might have been late to the tech party, they've caught up with a bang. Four of the top five and five of the top 10 performers are in the IT space. They are Prometicus, Altium, WiseTech Global, Zero, and Technology One. All are software companies, all are highly focused specialists in providing software and services to a specific industry or product group. The top 10 also reflect the importance of the decarbonisation thematic, particularly around electric vehicles and the current preferred power source in the form of the lithium-ion battery. The 10 best performing stocks in the current S&P ASX 100 over the last 10 years ranked in order are Pilbara Minerals, Prometicus, Altium, WiseTech Global, Zero, Aristocrat Leisure. I know they were on our buy list once, I think, a long time ago. At least we talked about them on an early show a bit. The A2 Milk Company, Alchem, Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, and Technology One. A2 Milk and WiseTech Global have been listed for less than 10 years, but still made the top 10. Now, most of these companies have never appeared on our buy list that I can remember, apart from maybe Aristocrat. Pilbara, I don't really remember them being on. They may have been on at some point. A2 Milk, I think we've talked about them, but I don't, they may have been on briefly once, A2M. Anyway, what do you think about this analysis? These are the top 10 stocks. None of them are sort of on our radar. Is this anything we can learn from this? I think, first of all, it's hindsight bias. So they've, you know, this guy's picking a 10-year period where tech stocks and high PE stocks have done well. And we've spoken about this endlessly over the last three or four years. I haven't been able to find a way of picking the good ones from the bad ones and the successful ones from the unsuccessful ones along the way. So it's just not my core competence. Investing in thematics is not my thing. I think it's hard to do. And on top of all that, they all come back quite a bit. So I'm not sure what his end date was for this, whether it was at the end of the calendar year or what. But, you know, if you look at Altium, I think it was dropped down again yesterday. I was reading something in the paper about it having some more problems. So, According to his article, it's had a share price increase of 3,002%, so it can probably afford to come back a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, sure, but just using like three-point trend lines to trade high PE stocks, I can't think of a way to invest in them. 
So the period he looked at was 10 years to November 1st, 2022. So they would have done better than if he got out earlier in the year. Look, it's impressive. I'm not going to belittle it, but uh, it's not how I invest. And 10 years ago, if you had have asked me to invest in these stocks, there's no way I would have picked them from other tech stocks or high PE stocks, which haven't been as successful. So I'm guessing 10 years ago, if I put together, even if I had put together a portfolio of high PE stocks or tech stocks or whatever the theme was for these stocks, that there'd be some duds in there as well. And you wouldn't be getting the kind of return that you do from standing here and looking back. And looking at the yeah top 10 performing stocks. If you could pick accurately yeah. the top 10 stocks, yeah. you would have done this well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So much better investing in the TARDIS and go back 10 years and buying these stocks. <laughs> I'd love a TARDIS. What are we doing? What's the human race doing? We don't have a TARDIS. Yeah, so you made the really good point that you don't have a model for figuring out which high-tech stocks are going to do well and which ones aren't. It's not that you're intrinsically, fundamentally against the idea of high-tech stocks. You just don't have a model for figuring out which ones are going to survive and which ones are going to go belly up. Like there's been plenty that have literally gone belly up in the last couple of years. I noticed that uh, the buy now, pay later stocks aren't in this list. But if you had written the article a year ago, oh, if you'd bought if you bought the yeah. zip code <laughs> ten years ago, I don't know if it was listed ten years ago. But if you'd done that, look, look how much you would have made. So yeah, and if you think about lithium miners, I mean, well, there's probably other ones out there which haven't done as well. So if you had ten years ago just bought lithium miners, that's the one that Tilbury Metals is the one that has shot the lights out. But what happened to the rest of them? They probably some of them would have gone broke. Pilbara Minerals has had a 17,000% increase over the period. went from $0.03 cents to $5.31. Alchem is the other lithium miner in that list. It's gone up by nearly 1,000%, so not as good as 17,000, but not, not bad either, I imagine, over 10 years. What's that about? But 10 years ago, how would you have, at $0.03 cents a share, how would you have, what was your investment thesis for buying Pilbara Minerals? If it was even called that back then. Yeah. Well, you would have been thinking lithium. Isn't that something they used to give people for uh, that was suffering from anxiety? There's going to be a lot of anxiety <laughs> in the world. Maybe you're in Nirvana fan and you're going, great, there's going to be another lithium record. I'm going to buy some lithium stocks. For bipolar <laughs> disorder and major depression. I thought it's something that people with schizophrenia sometimes take too. Yeah. This is going back to 2012, 1st of November, was... I'm not sure, was te- was was the first Tesla on the road by then? Uh, I don't think uh, so. Maybe. So would you even have been thinking about battery-operated electric vehicles back then? Well, not vehicles necessarily, but we've had lithium batteries for a long time. Rechargeable batteries are all lithium, aren't they? Yeah, they are, but uh, they were using existing resources. No one was going out, opening up new mines to service Nokia or Samsung or whatever. Well, this article says lithium miners were on their knees less than two years ago. I'm going to look at the uh, 10-year chart for PBM. I don't think it's gone back, goes back that far. 10 years? Really? Yes. Oh, let's look at five. No, we do not have any price data for PBM. What? It's delisted. (laughs) Well, it was really good until it delisted. (laughs) Okay, let's try PLS. PLS now, it's code, huh? No, no, I think it's always been called that. Yeah, it does go back to 2012. No, I accept that. And it's been fairly parabolic, except for the last couple of years where it retraced and then went up again. Okay, cool. So nothing we can take away from that article. Okay. 
Well, yeah, just don't be swayed by those kinds of articles. That's re- It's just hack journalism in the financial press. <laughs> Look, but you might as well have said, if you'd bought Apple, Amazon and <laughs> Tesla, <laughs> you know, when, when they were pennies, when they were, when they were first listed, you'd now be a billionaire. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> You're also very late. Tell me yeah. that. <laughs> Tell me what's going to be successful in the next 10 years and then we can have a conversation. Yeah. The only other article I read this week was Rear Windows. Uh, FTX's Alameda bought out Fred Shabetta for $300,000. <laughs> now, Fred Shabetta is an old friend of mine from the old dot-com days and now he's a friend of Taylor's. Taylor's been hanging out with him when he goes down to Sydney. Fred's uh, local uh, dot-com millionaire, co-founded Finder. But he also had a a crypto business that he sold and and he's he's the only person who have made money out of running an FTA uh, uh, crypto company. But the, um, I like this, there's this one quote in the article that tickled me. Speaking of whiplash, Quarter Memphis teleconference with FTX Australia director Jamie Kennedy came but a month after he spoke at a Bloomberg panel on the next frontier for crypto in Australia. Did anyone suggest then that the next frontier was the Centrelink queue? (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly, Kennedy's bio for the event noted the FTX Australia country manager, quote, helped to oversee the implementation of the chess replacement project, end quote, at the ASX, which we found out this week has been put on hold. I think they've dumped $250 into it or something, and it's not working, so they've killed it. Yeah, and that was the blockchain project that all the other stock exchanges around the world were looking at to see if it was going to work or not. You and I worked in the tech industry long enough to know that you don't you go don't the bleeding to, edge. Yeah, you don't want to be the person on the bleeding edge with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, if you pull it off, don't go first. Yeah, we, we, when Ray and I talk about Alexander the Great and how he used to throw himself into extreme dangerous situations in battles like he would like it was like suicide he would throw himself in and i've always figured that he figured it was a win-win scenario if he if he pulled it off and won the battle he's a goddamn legend that people will be talking about forever if he throws himself into it and gets killed he gets to go to elysium as uh, you know a great brave greek general and he'll be immortalized in poems, uh, you know, so it's it was a win-win situation. There's no losing if you're Alexander the Great in that situation. On the other hand, when you're trying to do a bleeding-edge tech project, if you pull it off, you're a superstar. But most of the time, it doesn't work out that way. And what's the upside for the ASX to be a superstar in the tech world? It's not their core business. What benefit do they get from it? Just a huge support and maintenance bill. Yeah, well, maybe there were cost saving benefits, theoretical, or I don't know, things that they can do tech-wise, new services they could have run on it. I don't know, but anyway, there you go. Portfolio update. Now, we have spoken in recent weeks about benchmarks and Nivexa and portfolio, and you said, I don't think it's showing us uh, the total return, and we did confirm that STW is a total return index, but one of our, I don't think even think he's a club member, I think he's just one of the free listeners or a light subscriber or something. Uh, pointed out that um, the Nivexa chart was, in fact, only showing us the capital return for STW. They had a separate chart that you could drill down into that would show you the total return for STW. <laughs> it just wasn't the one that they show you on the front page. 
So I emailed Navare at uh, Navexa and they fixed it. So thank you to uh, the person that pointed this out. I think it was somebody called Alex. Thank you to Alex if you're listening to this for pointing that out. So we have it fixed now. So now the portfolio update is a little bit less broken, but still kind of weird because if I look at it in Navexa now, the dummy portfolio, it says we're running about 15% per annum CAGA since inception versus the STW total return running at about 7% over the same time frame. So we're doing twice as good instead of 15 times as good, <laughs> which we thought was we knew we were good, but we didn't think they were that we were that good. However, if you go and look at the embedded version of the dummy portfolio on our website page, it says we're doing about a point better than it Ooh. says we're doing when I look at their website. It says we're doing like 15.6 or 15.7% per annum, not 14.5%. So I've emailed Navare again today saying, why am I getting two different <laughs> results on this? Am I doing something wrong? Am I looking at something wrong? Anyway, as of right now, it says we're up 15.02% per annum versus 17.33, sorry for the STW. So that makes way more sense. We're doing twice as good over the long haul, which is kind of what we aim for. So holy shit, it works. Look at that. I'm glad you sorted that one out. Thank you. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And yeah, we're doing twice the market, which is pretty much what we should be doing. So thank you again to Alex for uh, solving that. The QAV Brains Trust comes through yet again. What have you got to talk about, TK? Yeah, just a follow-on from the deep dive and pulled pork on self-wealth last week. One of our listeners emailed and said that uh, he had reached out to self-wealth about how safe his cash deposits were, and they came back with a, uh, quite a good answer, I thought, to say that uh, they use ANZ and any cash deposits are held on trust with ANZ. So I think that gives me a level of comfort that uh, would mean I wouldn't hesitate putting well, I would still think about it, but I wouldn't necessarily not put money in with um, self-wealth. Of course, the reply came in the form of a video message and it was the CEO of Self-Worth snorting coke on a yacht no, somewhere in the Bahamas. <laughs> but, uh, you know, don't let that... <laughs> kidding. Uh, kidding. Kidding, yeah. Satire. No, I think it's, I think it's just fair to, to clean that one up for people who are either investing in self-wealth or who use self-wealth. Two points I think still are outstanding for me. One is whether you get the government guarantee for deposits with self-wealth. So just a, a quick recap for people, if you put up to a certain amount, which I think is 200 grand in a bank in Australia, the government will guarantee that deposit. So if there's ever a run on the banks, you, your deposits are safe and government guaranteed. Of course, you pay for that because the banks themselves have to pay the government for insurance premium. Only 200 grand? Like if you put 198 grand or 202 grand, you're not covered? It's only for 200 grand? Uh, no, it's up to 200 grand. Oh, up to 200 grand. So what happens if you put in a million? You could still lose the second $800,000. Really? It's not all guaranteed? I thought it was all guaranteed. I don't think so. I mean, it's been a while since I looked at it, but my memory is that it's up to 200 grand. And the rest of it, they're just like, nah, sorry. Correct. Uh, you know, safe as banks. So, you know, yeah, it's, no. Really? Oh. I mean, the first thing to note is I don't think there'll ever be around the Australian banks which bankrupt them because they're very well run, very well regulated and have large capital reserves. But yeah, the government does, during the GFC, the government stepped in and said, we just want to calm everything down. 
and we're going to guarantee up to two. I think it's 200 grand. I should check that and come back to you on that. But it was 200 grand or it was, it's a guarantee up to a certain amount, but I'll check whether it's 200K or not. That's the first thing. So I, the, my question to self-wealth would be, if I deposit with you and it goes to ANZ, am I guaranteed if there's a run on um, self-wealth? That's the first question. My point is it may not be as completely safe as putting it in the bank. It'll be administratively harder to deal with because you've got to transfer money across between accounts if you want to trade on self-wealth, but that might be an issue for you. And secondly, I'd just be filed away and watch for the future, but I'd just be careful if self-wealth ever came out and changed the situation. And I'm not saying they will or that that it could happen, but a red flag for me would be if if self-wealth changed their banking relationship, like say, for example, they swapped to a, a minor bank or a building society or something like that for their banking relationship. Or a crypto fund. Or, or put all your money in a crypto fund. It'll be fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. So uh, just to follow up on self-wealth, I think it look, looks fine. doesn't take away from the fact they've got three years of runway ahead before they run out of cash unless they can start turning a profit. So that's all still ahead of them. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, so that's self-wealth. Last thing I want to do is a pulled pork. And this week, my pulled pork is on South 32, S32. Oh, I own South 32, Tony. It's, don't put the kibosh on it just yet. But what's it worth? I don't know. <laughs> what's it worth to, to you, I mean, for me to... Oh, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can lose the notes on South 32. <laughs> yeah, we need to have a uh, pulled pork uh, index. Committee. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Before? that too. <laughs> Beforehand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hasn't been signed up by the pulled pork risk committee this week. Oh, well. <laughs> While you're doing that, I'm just going to mute my microphone and go sell all my South 32 shares. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, I'll let you do that. The reason for doing South 32 is, uh, A, it's a large stock, and B, I noticed recently it's become a back on the buy list and, a, and a, it's above its second buy line, so it's uh, able to be bought. South 32, for people who don't know, is spun out of BHP seven years ago and was rather notoriously at the time known as the bad BHP. And BHP promoted itself as, as the good part of their portfolio, was going to remain with BHP, the iron ore in particular. And I'm going to clean up their uh, their portfolio of mining assets because they've gotten too big and complex. And I'm going to roll up all the other mines and put them into a spin-off called South 32 and was quickly called the bad BHP. But it hasn't been too bad. South 32 is mainly an alumina and aluminium business. Probably about half their their mines are, and smelters are in that uh, those two uh, businesses. But they also have copper mines which is a buy at the moment on the commodity charts, manganese, which is a sell, uh, zinc, which is a sell, met coal, which is a Josephine, and lead, which I haven't, lead and nickel, sorry, which I hadn't looked up. So, you know, something like 40% comes in those smaller metals. So they could still have issues with commodities, but certainly aluminium's strong at the moment. They've changed what they initially listed over the years. They've been trying to become a better corporate player in their eyes anyway. And they've gotten out of thermal coal and they've gotten into things like uh, hydro-powered aluminium smelters. Their strategy is to transition away from carbon and make themselves a better corporate player in, in terms of climate change. That's a good thing, but you know, I just wanted to flag the fact that I really don't think it makes you a better corporate player if you divest yourself of thermal coal if it's still being bought by someone else and operated by someone else. I mean, it makes no difference to the planet in that circumstances. 
if you wanted to get ticks in my book for being a, a, you're good on climate change, you, you bury the coal and plant trees above it. Uh, and South 32 didn't do that. They just divested the, the coal, as, as other mining companies have done, and tried to uh, clean up their act, but it doesn't help the planet because it just divests the mines somewhere else. Anyway, uh, that's my little rant on on corporate greenwashing. The ADT, going through the numbers, the ADT is large for this stock. It's 80 million bucks. So it's going to suit, uh, I would think, all of our listeners. Large market cap stock, $17 billion. It's a recent second byline cross, as I said. A couple of other things. It's um, it's fairly shareholder friendly at the moment. They, they've had an ongoing buyback for a long time to use up the operating cash, which is being thrown off by this company. They're paying a high dividend, which is currently at an 8.5% yield. So that's very good. And this is one of the stocks that uh, I come to at certain points in the cycle, which I like from a value perspective. And we'll see there's a fair bit of value on this one. But it's one of those stocks where the PE is lower than the yield, which is an interesting situation that mining companies in particular can find themselves at at certain times in their in their lives. And I, I quite like that cross or the, the crossover when the PE falls below the yield. The numbers, I'm using a share price of 391, which is less than the consensus target, less than IV1 and IV2, and also less than book plus 30%. So on all those metrics, it scores for us. Financial health is strong and steady. This is a, a company with uh, lots of cash and low debt. So it's, uh, it's financially very strong. For anyone who's interested, the ROE on this company is 27.4%. And of more interest to us is the prop calf is four times. So this is uh, you're buying a, a very large company on only four times the cash it's throwing off. P is 4.8, again, which is very low, uh, which is also the lowest in the last three years. And so it scores uh, on that basis for us. I guess where the, the numbers start to become a bit murky, and this is probably why we're buying it cheaply, is the forecast earnings per share is to drop 45% next year. So straight away, it scores a negative one on our growth over PE hurdle. And this is certainly the risk in this stock. However, at these kinds of prices, I think that that risk is is well and truly baked into the price. There are other risks, though. I mean, the, as I said, uh, nearly 40% of the company is investing in commodities or operating mines that have commodities which are either Josephine's or out, outright sells. So that could that could be a problem for them. This company is still developing all of its mines and, and doing uh, drilling. So uh, the capital requirements are reasonably large. And then there's the usual mining industry risks at the moment of COVID breaking out again and shutting down mines and uh, rising supply chain costs, as well as increasing uh, wages and uh, difficulty finding workers. So I should also point out this is an international company. So it has a lot of operations in South Africa and in South America, particularly in Brazil. So there could be risks um, in those in operating in different countries. I don't think those countries necessarily pose sovereign risks, although they could, but it's more likely that if there are risks to supply chains and finding staff, that they could have different perspectives uh, on them compared to how it goes in Australia. So they could be better or worse compared to Australia. So they're the risks. Oh, sorry, last thing I should say is no founder owner because it's spun out of BHP and uh, scores well from the stock doctor point of view. It's a borderline star stock and a star income stock, which gets half a point each, so a total of one in our checklist. For a total quality score of 88% and a QAV score of 0.22. So quite healthy on those metrics. Not high up the buy list, but certainly worth looking at if you're after a large um, ADT stock. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. 
if you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, you know, while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. 